Good morning. It is my joy to welcome you to the contemporary worship. We are so glad that you are here with us today. We want to remind you that you can join us in two other ways during the week. On Monday mornings at 10 a.m., you can join in for a conversation about the sermon with the preaching pastor and a few others that join in. And then on Fridays at noon, you can join in for a conversation about the, the Bible passages that we have been reading during the week that are connected to our devotions. For both of those, you just need to go to our website, scroll down, and then you click to sign up and you will get a Zoom link. Now, it's the same thing that you would do if you'd like to join our book discussion on July 20th at 6 o'clock, and we're going to be talking about Strength to Love by Martin Luther King Jr. Lots and lots of people have signed up already, and we're hoping to do little breakout rooms, so I hope you come along for that, for that conversation as well. This Saturday is our annual Day of Hope, and because of your amazing generosity, the only thing left is for you to pray. If you would pray for our young families who are coming, who are learning how to navigate this crazy school year in the middle of, of a pandemic, if you will pray for Marlene and for her army of volunteers who are going to serve the families this Saturday, greatly appreciated. Speaking of volunteering, we would love your help in the food pantry. We are serving hundreds and hundreds of people each and every day. So just even if you could serve one shift, it would help a lot. We want to thank you for your continued support of Church of the Palms, your generosity. There are four easy ways to give, and we are just so grateful for your faithfulness. We're grateful for partnering with us in our mission to love God and to love neighbor. I have one final announcement, saving the best for last. We miss seeing you. And so we were wondering if you would send in a picture of you and your furry family member. I want you to meet Delilah. This is our newest addition. Actually, she belongs to our daughter, but during quarantine, she's also mine. And I think she's happy to be here to worship God. So you have until July 31st to send in your picture. Send it to Jackie Gomez. Her address, her email is on the screen. We look forward to seeing it. So you can do a short video and say, peace be with you or you can just send in a picture. Let's worship God. Your grace is enough. Your grace. 
is an amazing God to whom we pray and this is that time in our service when we bring our hearts and our souls and our spirits before God in prayer as always we remind you to uh, send on any prayer requests that you might have to Lori Haas at lhaas at churchofthepalms.org and she will be glad to receive those and we'll be glad to include those in our prayers uh, in upcoming services today we continue to keep in our prayers Will Hedgepeth a uh, young member of our church family uh, who continues under hospice care that he may sense God's presence in these days. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we find maybe perhaps in times like these especially that we don't quite know how to pray as we ought. And we're grateful that we can remember the promise of the apostle that the spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And we're counting on that. We are counting on your spirit moving within us and speaking for us that we might know that we are a part of your unfolding plan of love. We have this treasure, the apostle says, in clay jars. And that's what we feel like sometimes, chipped in cracked jars of clay, fragile enough to wonder if the next bad piece of news or the next hard decision or the next change of circumstances might just put us into pieces. And yet the treasure lies within us, the treasure of your goodness, 
your good spirit, your good love. We pray for the world today, O oh God. The world is fragile. We are at risk. The global village doesn't feel like a village right now. We feel pulled apart, fractured, and disconnected. We're having trouble seeing that we are made of the same dust, that we are made together of the same clay, the same flesh, quickened by your spirit and formed to be your image. We're having trouble looking past the nose on our faces to see what lies behind the mask of our neighbor or the color of our neighbor or the cry of our neighbor or the opinion of our neighbor. Give us eyes to see, O oh God, past our masks and noses to discover again the beautiful image of God in the eyes of those who behold us. Heal our land, heal our globe, heal our relationships, heal our broken bodies, heal our broken jars of clay. Make us instead vessels into which you might pour your new wine that our cup would run over for the sake of your son Jesus in whose name we pray, amen. Well, it is my joy this morning to introduce to you a dear friend of mine and a dear friend of Church of the Palms, Dr. Morgan Roberts. Morgan has been a part of Church of the Palms for the last eight or nine years, he and his wife, Nora. And uh, Morgan is a Presbyterian pastor and has served in churches across our country, New York, Kentucky, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Alabama. He is a teacher of preachers and he has become a great mentor of mine. Those who worship normally in the sanctuary are very familiar with uh, Morgan as he has preached there several times. But for our contemporary worship uh, congregation, this may be for the first time for you to uh, meet him. So Morgan, we are so glad for you to be here and we welcome you to our service and look forward to hearing uh, your message today. I'm going to read the morning lesson to you from two different versions. First from the King James Version, and then after that from uh, the parallel that is called uh, the message. Uh, and uh, I want you to see a couple of things. One is when uh, we translate a particular word, and translated close to the rendering in the Greek New Testament, it gives an entirely different flavor to that verse. More importantly than that, I want you to see how when we pay close attention to the context in which a verse is set, it can change the entire meaning. I mean by context, who said it? To whom was it said, and exactly what was it said? Sometimes when we pay attention to that, uh, we learn that what we thought was not right. In fact, that the meaning of the verse is the exact opposite of what we thought. So first, let me read from the, the old King James. 
Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know, Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I can almost uh, read that lesson and without looking at it. Back in 1946, when I was 18 years old, not having been raised in Sunday school or the church, when I came to the faith, however you want to describe that, I was very zealous wanting to save souls. And so every Sunday afternoon at 2.30, I would go with uh, some older members of the church to the Schenectady County Jail and preach to the prisoners the way of salvation. Now, when it would come my turn uh, to preach, as it were, to, I guess, what you'd call a captive, truly captive audience, I'm sure that I used this scripture and that I quoted that final verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And what I would have said to them in essence was, is without Jesus as your personal Savior, it's down the drain. Of course, it doesn't actually say that, does it? When you look at the context again, who said it, to whom it was said, and what it is saying, you find that these are words not to be preached to the prisoners as such, but these are words that Jesus spoke to his followers who were children of God, destined from before the foundation of the world uh, to be the adopted children of God. Jesus is not saying to them, he never said to them, follow me and you'll escape hell. He said no such thing. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, co-workers with him in the business of proclaiming this good news of Jesus as the road to the Father's house. Now, I think you can realize when you say this that we should have been saying something different to the prisoners. We should have been saying to them, uh, Jesus is the road. His followers did not understand him completely, but he is the road and that's where you're going. Uh, it's all by grace, and even your ability to believe is by grace through faith. That's what we should have been saying. Anyway, let me read to you secondly the rendering uh, from the message of Eugene Peterson. Don't let this throw you. You trust God, don't you trust me? There's plenty of room for you in my father's house. If that weren't so, would I be, have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? And if I go and get your place ready, I'll come back and get you so that you can live where I live. 
and you already know the way. Thomas said to him, Master, we have no idea where you're going. How, how do you expect us to know the way? Jesus said, I am the road and the truth and also the life. No one gets to the Father apart from me. It's like saying, I am the true road of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think some of you probably know that long before the followers of Jesus, the first followers of Jesus were called Christians, they were simply called people of the road. Maybe you remember reading in the book of Acts how Paul, before his conversion, when he was called Saul, uh, was out to get some of these early followers of Jesus. It says he went to the high priest and got letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he, if he found any of those who were of the road, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The followers of Jesus were people who lived on a different road than the rest of the world. And we're going to talk this morning about what it means to be the people of the road. I'm going to see actually two things to you. First is that if we're people of the road, we are free from the burden of having enemies. The second is that if we are people of the road, we are free from the burden of being possessed by our possessions. Let's talk about both these things. First of all, to be people of the road, to be genuine followers of Jesus, it means that we live without the burden of having enemies. Of course, we often forget that Jesus had no enemies. It sounds strange in a certain way. His enemies were out to get him. They finally got him, arrested him, made him carry his cross, put a, th a crown of thorns upon his head, uh, put him on a cruel tree and torturously crucified him. Had no enemies? Yes, he had no enemies. He did not regard those who did this as his enemies. For that matter, that's why he said, Father, forgive them. They're your children, but they don't know what they're doing. Well, I can hear someone saying, all right, I see what you mean. Jesus had no enemies. He forgave those who were crucifying him, and he's calling us to be the same thing. But uh, sometimes uh, it would be easier if I had enemies who were out to get me. As it is, I have to live with people who have it all wrong. I have to live with idiots who hate the people that God wants us to accept, who idolize people who are cruel. I mean, these are even people who belong to the wrong political party. They don't vote the right way. They have a, a set of values that, is, that are all messed up. These are people who are not only idiots, they think that I'm the idiot. Truly, these are people who either need to be fixed and move out of the neighborhood or I've got to find a way to leave the neighborhood. But of course, the bottom line, and this is the hard one for many people, is that they're not going to move out of the neighborhood, and I'm not going to move out of the neighborhood, because we're going to live together forever in the Father's house. You heard me correctly. These crazy, stupid people, these idiots, we're going to live together forever as one family 
in the Father's house. Now, uh, let me draw this out a little bit. You know, Paul says in Ephesians, and I've already quoted it, before the foundation of the world, before God created the world, he destined us, all of us, for adoption as his children. We're all the family of God. We may not realize that. Uh, some people may live as though they are literally uh, enemies of God and they're still members of the family of God. They may disgrace the family, but you know, you can't not be a child of God. Every person you meet on every day of your life is a child of God bound for the Father's house. Uh, that's just the way it is. And this is why the most important verse in the Bible is not John 3.16. The good news is when Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven who makes his Son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The love of God is as universal as the sun and the rain. In other words, when the sun comes up in the morning, whether you're raising flowers or tomatoes, the same sun helps everybody's garden to grow. When it rains, it doesn't just rain on my lawn because I'm one of the good guys. It even rains on the lawn of that idiot down the street because God's love is absolutely universal. And when you see that, that our God is someone who is so friendly uh, that his love encompasses everyone, sends his, uh, raises his son upon the evil and the good, sends his reign upon the righteous and the unrighteous, you can't believe that such a God all of a sudden at the end of life is going to change his mind and get angry with people and torture them forever apart from his presence. That is pure heresy. A God who tells us what he's like is not going to do such a thing. Besides which, it's utter heresy to say you could ever be separated from the presence of God. There's nothing else out there but the presence of God. If you're a Presbyterian, remember the catechism, God is a spirit, infinite, that means without boundaries, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. There's nothing out there beside the presence of God. There's no place else to go. I remember Ernie Campbell, when he was the pastor of Riverside Church, Riverside Church in New York, came to my church in Michigan, and he to, uh, told something that I'd never noticed. You know, there's a story, and it is told slightly different ways in two Gospels. There's a rich young man who comes to Jesus, and he says, uh, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says something like, well, you keep the commandments, and they list some of the commandments. And the young man says, all these I have kept uh, from my youth. And then Jesus uh, slings at him the big one. He says, one thing you lack, sell all you have and give to the poor. And the young man turns away sorrowing because he has great wealth. And Jesus really looked at him and loved him. But notice this, Jesus didn't chase after him. 
You know, if Jesus had been like many enterprising pastors nowadays, he would have said to one of the, uh, his uh, associates, he would have said, let's keep in touch with that young man. Uh, give him a phone call next week. Tell him we'd like to get ready together for lunch or something. I mean, uh, he's got leadership potential, and he has the kind of financial resources that we could use for the furtherance of our ministry. No, Jesus didn't. He didn't chase after him. It is as though Jesus were saying, let him go. He'll be back. Sooner or later, they all come home at last. There's no place else to go. You know, it's a wonderful thing to reach this freedom in which you're a carefree, happy, friendly child of God where you can look out at every person and say, as my friend Fred Rogers would have said, I like you just the way you are. And that doesn't mean that Fred liked everybody just the way they were today. Fred was saying that down deep, down in the depths of every life, there's an immortal grandeur, and God will never give up on anyone until you get home until you become that immortal golden child of God that from all eternity you have meant to be. Okay, here's the second thing. Living on the road with Jesus means not being possessed by your possessions. Now, there's a big difference between the early church and our church nowadays. And you've read about it in Acts. I don't know how much you've thought about it, but it says... They had no possessions. They regarded all of their possessions as one. They put all of their money into one common pot so that no one would be in need. Now, that's a pretty astounding church. This, of course, is before we had no buildings and, and cathedrals. We had no paid preachers who end up with nice pensions. Uh, it was just a small family gathering a communal sharing of their goods. And, of course, the Roman Empire went after them, fed them to the lions, and they kept forgiving them, regarding them not as their enemies. And finally, after a while, it brought the Roman Empire to its knees before Jesus. And we did this, and we didn't even own a building. Now, who would want to belong to such a church? What if we came up with this idea? that Church of the Palms, we're going to have a spin-off, a new kind of a church. We'll stay the way we are, but we're going to spin off this church that's going to copy the early church. It'll be called, well, People of the Road or Church of the Road. Maybe they'll meet in some small room here. They probably won't need anything very big, or maybe they'll meet in their own homes. But they'll put their resources in a common pot and make sure that there is no need and that they can reach out to, ease, uh, to the world beyond them. Would you join such a church? Well, you know, I once knew two people who would have. Uh, they probably never heard of Dorothy Day, the, uh, the saintly Catholic worker, and uh, her, uh, her formula, live simply so that others may simply live. Uh, but these two people would have lived that way. And it's because of the secret 
of their life. Now, I know the secret of their life because long after they had died, my father-in-law, who was the church treasurer, told me their secret. He had often had to respond to the Internal Revenue Service about their tax returns because no one at the IRS could believe that people lived the way they did. And the way they lived was by a reverse tithe. Now, you know what tithing is, giving 10% of your income. But Harry and Anna decided at some point early in life that they would live on 10% and give 90% away. They lived in a tiny matchbox size of a house. One summer they hired me to paint it. I painted the whole thing in two days. I could reach the highest point in the house with a stepladder. They didn't have a car. They came to church on the bus. They had no children. They had been blessed with children, but so many of the, us became their spiritual children. The radiant happiness of their life, the wisdom of their life, the simplicity, the freedom of their life just drew us to them. Uh, years later when I was in college and very depressed over some issue, uh, I wrote to Harry because I knew that you could trust someone who made himself poor for the sake of Jesus, and Harry helped me out of it. That's the kind of people they were. And then, all of a sudden, a few years later, they arrived in church with an old car. They needed an old car because, with their own money, they had bought a children's camp. The previous owner had wanted to move into uh, something more sophisticated, so they bought this children's camp, open-air cabins. I was a counselor there after my uh, first year in seminary. And uh, when Harry retired, they gave it to the church. It's still in operation today. And then Harry retired, and they went off to Afghanistan to teach in some little school and bear secret witness to the gospel. They were there until they had to come home when Anna was dying. Can you imagine living such a life? You know, when it comes down to it, life isn't a choice between heaven and hell. It's a choice between being a happy, carefree child of God or else living on some dead-end street. And there are lots of people who are members of the church who, no matter what they say, are living on a dead-end street. Live with a dollar sign in front of everything, and that has no future. You know you can't take it with you anyway. Live in pride for your position in life. But all the positions end once our life is over. You know, there aren't any popes in heaven. Once you're pope, it, it, it's over when you get there. You can't take anything to heaven but a, a Christ-like heart. There aren't any past presidents in heaven. You don't go around saying, gee, I really always wanted to meet you, President so-and-so. No, that's all over. There aren't any PhDs. There aren't any preachers. All that we take there is a Christ-like heart. And that's really what it comes down to. Are you living on the road with Jesus, seeking only that which he wants to bring forth in every life, a Christ-like spirit? Let's pray.
Our gracious Father, we thank you for your promise of the wonderful freedom of the children of God. We thank you that you're leading us home, that we live in the wonderful freedom of knowing that there is only one family, that we have no enemies, that we live with the knowledge that all we need is a cheerful, friendly, kindly spirit. O oh, gracious God, let us so live, let us so speak to the world that there may be no doubt, that it may be crystal clear that we are people on the road, people on the road with Jesus. For we ask this in his name. Amen.
precious Lord, reveal your heart to me. And now may the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes, the love of God reflected in your hands, the wisdom of God reflected in your words, and the knowledge of God flow through your hearts so that all might see and believe. And all God's children said, Amen.